There's a phrase that I notice people using from time to time, and maybe you have, you have heard people use this phrase too. And people use the phrase whenever they are apologizing for something that they are admitting to have done, and they know they shouldn't have done or said or thought, and they're admitting that they did it, but then they add a little phrase to the end of it describing the thing that they did. And here's the phrase they use. Tell me if you've ever heard anybody say this. They say, yes, I did it, and I'm sorry, and then here's the phrase, but that's not me, right? That, that's, that thing that I did, that doesn't represent who I am. That's not a true representation of me, right? So it's not that they're, it's not they're saying they didn't do it. It's just saying that the thing they did is not an accurate reflection of their identity. They're saying that the activity does not represent their identity, right? Have you ever heard people do that? Like a politician will do something and say something or, you know, and then later when they apologize, they go, that's not a reflection of who I am. That doesn't represent me. That's not me. That's not who I am, right? They're separating their identity from the activity or, or a, a celebrity or a sports star. We, we hear it on the news, but, but sometimes, you know, we even think it ourselves, right? I don't know about you, but when somebody says that, I have, I have a, two different emotions. The first emotion, because I'm a little bit judgy. I don't know if, if anybody else, I'm a little judgy from time to time. If I lived in Jesus' time, I would, I hate to tell you this, I would be a Pharisee. I mean, I would. I would be one of the religious guys that's like, you know, that's what I would be. And, and he would keep crushing me and breaking me down. And then right, that's what he would do. Uh, break out the pride. And, and, and anyway, that's so. But when I see people and I hear people say that's not me, one reaction that I have is, uh, yes, it is you. Right? Like, you said it. It came out of your mouth. You did it. It represents who you are. That's you. Okay, right? Like, I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's you. Okay, right? That's what I want to do. Right? Some of you are laughing, like, with a certain familiarity that tells me, you know. Uh, but when I do something, when I do something, when I say something, that isn't representative of the person that I think myself to be, then I don't want people to attach my activity to my identity. I don't want people to say, oh, well, then that's who he is. I want people to say, no, no, that was just an aberration. That was just a, that was just a little wart that grew on an otherwise smooth surface, right? That was just, right, that was not, that, that's not who he is. Can somebody, can somebody help me out? Is somebody with me. And the question then that we have to ask ourselves is, which is it? Right? Because there's a conflict. There's a conflict. There's a, there's a, there's an activity that happens. And then there's our identity. And the conflict is, does that activity mean that's our identity? Are we the sum of the things that we've done? Are we the sum of the things that we've said? Because here's what happens. Some people, people that are really like a little more on the conceited end, on the, on the, uh, uh, the arrogant end of things, they disassociate themselves from all the negative things that they've done and said, and they associate themselves with all the positive things, right? And so they go, this is me, and all those bad things, if they even exist, they're not me, right? So that's, that's one person. Another person that's on the other end of the spectrum, somebody that struggles with self-worth, somebody that doesn't think very highly of themselves, they adopt all of the negative things, and they say, this, this must be me. 
I must just be, you know, this is just me. This is who I am. I can't change it. I'm this, right? And then they disassociate themselves from all the positive things. And so the question is, which is it? What forms our identity? Are we the sum of our activities or are we something else? If you've ever struggled with this question, this challenge for your own life or in other people's lives, you're in good company. I'm going to read you, and don't put this on the screen. This is one that's not, 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 I'm not giving you on the screen. I just want to read you from Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul struggled with this very question, all right? And I'm going to read you, read you something that, that he did, and, and this is from Romans, so we're not in our Colossians yet. But I love what he says. I love the candor. Uh, it's Romans 7 chapter 15, if you have your Bible. He says this, I do not understand what I do. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I do. He's saying, there are things that I want to do, and I don't do them. And there are things that I don't want to do, and I do them. Then he says this, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I've got a a hunger, a desire to do righteous, but I can't carry it out. For I do not know, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So, Even the Apostle Paul struggles with this question, this reality of there's a distinction between my activity and my identity. So how do we resolve this conflict? And what we're going to do today, we're in part four of the mystery. We've been exploring. We've been, we've been inquiring into this, into this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of uh, Christians and they were just like us in so many ways. And, and so the, the, the book, the letter is really, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed this. The letter is so precise about, and, and it sort of digs in right into our very heart. It actually speaks, to me, it speaks right into what's going on. It's like reading my mail. The Apostle Paul's like, I read your mail. I read your email. Here's what's going on in your life, and here's what I'm speaking into. And what he speaks into in this part of the letter is this question of identity and activity. Who are you really? What is the real you? Who are, how do you define, how do you identify yourself when your activity does not align with your identity? And here's what he gets into in this passage. And I'm going to read like a large chunk of this. And then we're going to come back and explore it together. So hang, hang with me during this. Read it with me and, and not out loud, but in your, as your, it's on the screen. Um, and, and let's, let's just pay really close attention to what the apostle Paul is doing here. And I may need your help today because what he's doing is so rich. It is such a deep theological truth that it's hard to actually articulate it in a way that's really simple and clear. So, so I might need your help. If I'm struggling, just throw me a amen, like preach it, you know, kind of, if I'm not quite there, just, just say, keep going, preacher. Just keep working on it. You're going to get there, okay? Because we're going to get there. Here's what he says. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. All right, we're going to pay attention to all the phrases. You've been raised with Christ. You can't be raised unless you're dead. Nobody is raised up unless they've been put down. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then he, then he goes in a little more specifically. He says, for you died. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but this is a very difficult phrase. He said, you died. 
That's a very interesting thing to say to an audience that's literally reading what you just wrote. Because by reading it, that seems to be evidence that you're not dead, right? So I'm, if I say to you, you died, and you're hearing me say that, you're going, wait a minute, I'm not dead. But then in the very next line, he says, and your life. So is it, are we dead, or are we alive, or where are we, Paul? What's going on? He's getting into the mystery. He says, for you died, and your life is now hidden. It's concealed. It's, it's cryptic. It's hidden in, uh, with Christ and God. Then he says this, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Don't worry. We're going to come back. We're going to clear all this up. All right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put, put this all together. But what we've got so far is you died. You live. The life that you live is somehow hidden. It's concealed. It's not fully expressed. It's not fully visible. There's a you that isn't fully known to even you. There's a you that isn't known fully to the people that you're interacting with. You're walking around, going to the mall, going to school, going to the job, and that you is a new you, but the real you hasn't been fully revealed yet. All right? Here's what he says. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your old life. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He said, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. There's a former life. That's a life that you once lived. But now, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off, here he goes again, your old self... Your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self. So there's an old self, there's a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Okay? So he's talking very individually. There's an old self that's dead. There's a new self that's you, but it's being renewed. It's being transformed. It's being changed. And then he kind of goes community. He was talking individually. Now he's going globally. Here, there is no Gentile. There's no Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. Scythians, Scythians were like barbarians, you know, on steroids. They were like the they were like the guy. They were like one of the first tribes to ever learn how to ride uh, horses and fight at the same time. They were just marauders. And so he he doubles down. He says barbarians and even the crazy Scythians. Uh, there's there, there's there's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. No slave. No free. But Christ is all, and is in all. This is, a, this is an identity thing. He says, Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Some of you, that's the only line you need to hear today. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If you're here today and, and, and you're a follower of Jesus, you, you count yourself as a Christian, this truth that he's going to push into here is so important for you to get so that you can clearly understand who you really are. 
who you really are. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you're, you're just checking it out, maybe you're curious, uh, or somebody forced you to come, somebody you know, bribed you to come, they're going to take you to Hopcat afterwards and get you some wings, and, and you said, okay, I'll come. If that's you, then th- the, the value of this message is you will get to understand us a little bit better. Because I know some of you might think, look, you know, I see these Christians, but they're, 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 they're not walking it like they're talking it. You know what I mean? They're not like their activity doesn't match their identity. They're saying they're one thing, but they're not actually doing that, right? And so you tend to think, okay, well, these are hypocrites, and I'm just going to get away from them. But this passage will actually help you understand a little bit better who we are, because like you, we're in process. We're in process. We haven't achieved it. We haven't, we haven't, we haven't grasped it fully yet. We're not all the way there, but we're on a path. So today I want to talk about the topic... The real you. The real you. Tell somebody, keep it real. Keep it real. Okay. In Florence, Italy, there's a museum, uh, and it's called the the, uh, Academia Gallery. One of the most famous museums in the world because it houses one of the most famous statues in the world. Michelangelo's David is in the uh, uh, Academia Gallery. And it's a, thousands of people throng to this gallery every year. And in and, and, and this gallery, you see Michelangelo's David, which is, by many, by many artists and art critics, I mean, this is like one of the most perfect examples of sculpture that you can ever see. It's, it's 17 feet tall. It's carved out of pure white marble. It's, it's over 12,000 pounds. I mean, this thing is massive, and it's exquisite. Every vein, every, every muscle, every curve, the look in his eye. And, it, and it's a picture of David right before David slew Goliath. So he's got this glare in his eye. He's got this courage, this bravery. He's looking at Goliath. He's got the sling over his shoulder. He's, he's got the rock in his other hand, and he's about ready to, to do some, some punishment. And, and when people look at this, they go, man, this is, this is like a perfect beautiful example of what sculpture should be. Renaissance sculpture is just magnificent. But what I find even more interesting is Michelangelo's creative method. Because when he discussed his method with people, the method by which he carved these exquisite sculptures out of massive slabs of marble, the way he talked about it was as if the thing already existed, the masterpiece already existed, and all he was doing was revealing it. All he was doing was chipping away some of, the, some of the superfluous material around the exquisite sculpture that already existed. In fact, there's a quote that's attributed to him that says this. He says, and I love this. He says, the sculpture, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It's already there. It's already done. It's already perfect. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. He's saying there's a, there's a hidden masterpiece that exists. It just hasn't been fully revealed yet. It's still hidden. It's still, it's still concealed. Now, when people go into this hall, when people go into this gallery, of course, they're looking at David. They, they, you know, that, that's, that's, the, that's the thing everybody's looking at. But what they don't notice, what they don't notice is that there are six statues along the hall. These six statues are also carvings by Michelangelo, but they're not finished. They're masterpieces that are still concealed in the stone. 
They're still concealed in the rock. They haven't been fully made manifest yet. They exist, but there's still some stuff around them from the former life as a marble block that hasn't been chipped away, so you can't actually see the masterpiece yet, even though it's there. Look up at the close-up of one of them. Here's one here. And in fact, it was so fascinating, and you, you can't write this stuff. These were called prisoners. He was, these were actually statues of prisoners that he was making. And, and whatever, his commission ran out, or somebody couldn't come up with the money, so he stopped working on them, right? So what you've got are these, these masterpieces like this, that are unfinished, that are incomplete. They exist, but they haven't been fully revealed. Now, here's what I want you to get. If you don't get this, we're just lost the rest of the morning, okay? Get this. The Apostle Paul is saying this. When God chose you, when Jesus died for you, when you received him, you were immediately transformed into a masterpiece. Immediately. The scripture says... His righteousness was imputed to you. Do you understand that his righteousness is perf perfection? He's perfect. He's blameless. And in a moment, you became blameless, holy, righteous, and perfect because you took on his righteousness and he took on your sin. So in that moment, it happened like that, like that. But I don't know if you've noticed this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. You look around at some Christians they don't always display that level of perfection that Jesus is talking about, right? Some of you do, I know, I'm sure. Right? But when I look around at Christians or when I look at myself, I go, well, man, if I'm holy and righteous, if I have Jesus' holiness, if my identity is pure, righteous, holy, blameless, forgiven, then why do I still act the way I do sometimes, right? Because the perfection is hidden got to get this. I'm going to just stay on this point unless we all agree together. We got this because if, 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 if we are holy and perfect and blameless, why don't we act holy and perfect and blameless? And the reality is, is because our life, that life, that perfect life is still hidden. There's still some chipping away that needs to be done. That's why Paul says, put away, put away the things from your old life. Put them to death. Chip them away. Get them off of you so that the real you can emerge. So when you do things, when you do things, right, that don't reflect who you really are, it's not that your identity changed. It's that you still have some chipping away to do. You have some chipping away to do so that the real you can be revealed. The real you can be revealed. Revealed. I'm going to read you. This is not on the screen. I want to read you just a couple scriptures about the real you. Because here's, here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, I'm going to give you a few verses. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. When you, when you received Christ, you became new. Totally new. Brand new. Completely new. Okay? You might, not, you might not see it. People might not see it, but that's who you are. But you are a chosen race. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood. You're royalty. You're royalty. You're not, you just, you know, it's not, you're not always living like royalty, but you are royal. Like, like Meghan Markle, she's, she's, she's royalty now, right? But if you've noticed, there's still some stuff from her past 
you know, her family members are doing interviews and there's some stuff that she's like, oh, that's, you know, she's, her, her, her position has changed, right? But her condition hasn't totally changed. Galatians 2.20, you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God. You live it by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's, here's where we get it a little bit twisted. I'm going to try to break this down. We don't understand the difference between position and condition. I touched on this a couple weeks ago. Position and condition. Your condition can change with your circumstances. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you're good, sometimes you're bad. Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're sad. Sometimes you do right, sometimes you do wrong. Your condition can change. Your position never changes. So my children are my children. That's their position. That's their position. They can't change that. There's nothing that they can do to change that. Even if they got real mad at dad and decided to emancipate themselves, they're still my children. They can't change that. They belong to me. They're my kids. They're my, that's their position. I, and they'll be in that position no matter what their condition is. I don't care what their condition is. 20 years down the road, 30 years down, I don't know what, what's going to happen in their life. There's, it's going to be ups and downs, but they're mine. God is saying, look, you need to understand the difference between your position and your condition. Your position is that you are a royal priesthood, that you are, that you are righteous and blameless and holy, but your condition is that there's still some stuff to chip away. The, the David, you know, King David, before he was king, when he was a shepherd, he was anointed by, by Samuel. And many scholars think he might have been like 10 or 15 years old when he was anointed. In fact, when, when Jesse, his dad, brought all the sons in because Samuel was going to anoint one of them to be king, he brought in all of his sons but David. Because David's like, no way. You know, like, they, first of all, he's like 10 years old. He's out with the sheep. I mean, he's a kid. Like, surely, he wasn't even on the radar. His dad brought everybody in, all the brothers in, and Samuel comes down the road and he goes, nope, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. And he goes, wait a minute, do you have, do you have any more? And he goes, well, I got this one little, you know, punk kid that's out in the field chasing, throwing rocks, and you know, I mean, I'll bring him in. But brings David in and Samuel goes, that's the one, okay? In that moment, he was the anointed king of Israel. In that moment. Most scholars believe it was about 15 or 20 years later before he was crowned king of Israel. The anointing and the coronation, there was a long gap between there. You understand? And in that gap, there were times that he was up. There were times that he was down. He was running. He was fleeing. He was broke. He was angry. He was depressed. He wrote songs about how depressed he was. You can read them in the Psalms. I mean, he went through some stuff because his condition was changing, but his position never changed. It took a while for his position to be revealed because it was hidden. When you're out in the field throwing rocks, you know, at bears, you don't seem like the king of Israel. All right. But God is saying, look, your position hasn't changed. I'm just going to keep working on the condition until we get you into your position. Are you with me? So. So. Here's what he says. Colossians three, nine. You have taken off the old self with its practices. You have put on the new self. And then he says this, because here's how he's doubling down. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed, renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. So your new self, that word renewed, it actually means transformed upward. So it means you're being transformed upward. You're being changed little by little into the real you. The real you exists, but you're not manifesting it yet. 
if, if, if you've ever been to Cicero's down the street, they've got a Donkey Kong machine. Any children of the 80s in the house today? A oh, Donkey Kong, right? Donkey Kong, you know, you, you got the, the gorilla and he's throwing down the, the barrels. Why he's called the donkey? That's who knows. But he's throwing down these barrels and you're going up to save the princess. And my, my children and I were in there the other day and Lincoln was just struggling with the Donkey Kong. He just couldn't get, figure out how to go up the ladder and Mario and all that. And so I, I'm like, look, let, let me stand aside. Let the dad clear clear the path right and i and i start and i start cruising up and i'm going on the ladders and i'm jumping over the barrels and i'm grabbing the hammer and i'm knocking things around and you know what i leveled up all right i leveled up you know what that means that means i got up to the next level and i kept going but it seems like every time i got to that next level the gorilla grabbed the princess and went up to a higher level so i got to keep leveling up right here's what he's saying he's like the real you exists but you're leveling up to get there you're on your way up to get there. You just haven't gotten there yet. It's really in there. You're already there. It just hasn't manifested itself completely yet. So what do you do with that? Don't accept what you are. Expect what you are. Don't accept the situation that you're in right now as being who you are. There's a difference between accepting and expecting. If you're accepting, you're going, well, I guess this is just the way it is. I guess I just... I guess I'll just get by and do what I'm doing, right? Here's the thing. You generally get what you accept. How many of you know that, right? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to, I don't know if I'll be able to do that job. I don't know if I'll, I probably won't get it. I probably won't get that job. Well, you generally get what you accept and what you expect, right? If you think, well, I'm just unlovable. I just, I guess nobody really, right? You generally get what you expect. That's what happens. And, and what the Apostle Paul is saying is I don't want you to accept things the way they are. I want you to put to death the things that are not representative of who you are because I want you to know that you are seated with Christ in heaven. The real you is there and you need to expect that you're heading there. You need to expect that that's the trajectory of your life. In fact, here's how he puts it. He says at the very beginning of this passage, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above. Don't set your heart on things where you are. Set your heart on things above. This is expectation language. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When my my two-year-old daughter wakes up in the morning, she does not accept things the way they are. She expects that somebody's going to come in, Change her diaper, take her downstairs, get her some scrambled eggs, get her some milk in her little sippy cup, and generally take care of her. And if you don't do it on her timeline, you will know about it. And let me tell you, let me tell you, this girl's got perseverance. She keeps going after you. If you don't come in immediately, you will hear about it until you do. That's what I love because she is not accepting the way things are. She's expecting things to be better, right? Today, some of you are are accepting your life the way it is and God is going, that's not who you are. That's not the real you. That is the old you, some of which still clings to you. Chip off the stuff that clings to you and become the real you. Don't accept it, expect it. Keep moving forward into who you really, really, really are. Because here's the reality. 
it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen immediately. There's a process involved. There's a process involved. Some of you, even today, you think like, maybe you are not where you want to be. You haven't accomplished what you want to accomplish. You're not living out the life that you really believe you should live out. But if people knew where you came from, if people really knew where you came from, they would have a different view of where you are. They would have a, here, here's the reality. There's perfection and then there's process. There's perfection. The perfection is you're already there. I already did it for you. You've already been made new. You're blameless, holy, and righteous. The, Christ, the righteousness of Christ is on you. That's perfection. The revealing of that perfection, that's a process. That's a chipping away. I'm going to close with this. What a lot of people don't know about the statue of David is that it took 40 years from the time the stone was cut from the quarry until the time that it was revealed in the plaza in Florence, Italy. 40 years. They cut a stone out of the quarry and they had this idea about turning it into a statue of David. And a guy named Agostino, an artist, a sculptor named Agostino came, started chiseling away at this massive slab. We don't know what happened. Maybe he got fired. Maybe he quit. We don't know. But after chipping away for a few weeks, he stopped. For 10 years, that slab of stone lay out on the ground, waiting for somebody to come and work on it. 10 years later, another artist, Rosalini was his name, Rosalino, came, another sculptor, came and worked on it just for a few weeks. And then he stopped. We don't know why. Nobody knows why. It's not written down. But he stopped. He stopped. 26 years, that stone lay on the ground, waiting for somebody to come and sculpt it. Leonardo da Vinci came and took a look at it, did some consulting work on it, but wasn't ready to tackle it. Michelangelo came and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Three years, chipping away, cutting away, polishing, chipping, cutting, working on it until finally you get a masterpiece. A masterpiece that he said always existed. It just hadn't been revealed. Here's what I want to leave you with today. The masterpiece that God transformed you into, if you're a follower of Jesus, is, is alive. It's you. It's just hidden. It's just concealed. Today, begin to allow God to chip away of those things that reflect your old self. Allow those things to be chipped away. And allow the real self, the real you, to be revealed. And I'm going to end just with a, a little twist, the way he twists it here on this, on this topic of forgiveness. Some of you haven't forgiven yourself for the old life that's dead. The old life is dead, but you still haven't forgiven yourself. Forgive yourself today. Forgive yourself. Receive his forgiveness. Because... The old self is dead and buried. It's gone. Receive his forgiveness. And for some of you, it's the reverse. Forgive those who have harmed you. Because they haven't been fully revealed either. They haven't been fully revealed yet. All they are is an imperfect, incomplete version of the real them. So forgive them as Christ forgave you. Because then and only then can you and I and we and you become the real you.
Let's pray together. God, we come before you today. The truth of your word is so profound. I, I, I wish we could just hang out and talk about it for two more hours. It's so powerful. I pray, God, that each of us leave here today with a transformed view of ourself. The view of ourself that is holy, righteous, perfect, yet incomplete. And that we would take on the task of allowing, by the power of your spirit, allowing ourselves and allowing you to work on us, to chip away those parts of our life that do not reflect the reality of who we are. God, I pray that you would transform us little by little, stone by stone, piece by piece, bit by bit, that we might become the glorious image of your son, that you might receive the praise, that you might receive the glory, that you might receive the honor by virtue of the fact that we have become the real us, the ones that you made us into. We thank you for this. We give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.